Welcome, everyone, to the CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place of Franklin Estates in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, October the 17th. Virginia had a huge, huge victory on, on Saturday night that I'm, we're obviously going to talk about. Um, Cavaliers also will be on the road this weekend, heading down to Durham. Um, to take on uh, five and one uh, Duke in a game that uh, I think is actually really interesting for a variety of reasons. We'll get into that as well. Um, so let's get started. We'll go up and uh, introduce everybody out in uh, Fishersville. David Spence is on the show. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Brad. My, my, my team took points off the board and won a game. <laughs> who days on the board at who days on Twitter? And up in Arlington, staff writer Justin Ferber also on the show. How are you, man? Doing well. Uh, I just want to talk about the play that nobody's talking about, which is me catching that punt before the game. Oh, at Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. We do have to. Okay, Cavs Quarter also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, content items, and occasional witty banter. Okay, so like I, I got a new phone. Spoiler alert, Brad got a new phone, and I can't help but take this camera out for a walk anytime I get a chance. So Ferber decides pregame that he wants to walk around to the other side of the field. We never go that way. We run into Gary Furman, and Ron Bailey from the Georgetown site was there, which is great, but he was shooting for, for Gary. And so uh, we're walking, and like I, I wanted to take this picture of the pylon, right, and it just looked cool or whatever. And like I'm down there, and like punts are flying near my head, right? And... I don't know if Ferber warned me of this one that got close, but anyway, we're walking, and then he snags this punt. I tried. <laughs> well, that's true. He snags this punt, and I was like, yo, it was really impressive. I, I want to give you props. That was that was very impressive. It was a proud day for you to catch a punt on the field at Scott Stadium. Did you it was a busy night on the field for the Cavs corner. Crew. I was going to say, and then that, that, well, that that's a nice segue to, to Dave. I'm really curious, like – um, it, we didn't plan this as a segment, but as as we were getting, as I was doing the intro, I, it realized it dawned on me, like, oh yeah, we, we need to talk about the whole what do they call it, the pun- Cavman kickoff captain, kickoff captain, that's it. Yeah. So so Riley, uh, Dave's older daughter, was the kickoff captain, supposed to be for the Ohio game, and then they apparently yeah. finagled it so that you got to do Miami. Take the people through, like, what does that mean? Like, uh, we see a little you know cute kid run across the field, grab a tee, and run back. Um, but you got different seats. You had a there was a special T-shirt that you were hanging out of the field. There were all kinds of perks for talk. Talk to the people. Tell them. Yeah, I mean, your, your kids got to be a part of the Cavs Corner crew, which costs like twenty bucks or something. Um, and um, you know, I've got two girls, obviously. So Riley's favorite sport is football, believe it or not. So she she was we got a call before, like the day before the Richmond game, but she was out of town, so they offered Ohio. That didn't work. So. Um, they weren't flying. Unfortunately, they didn't offer to charter us out to Nashville like, like I kind of joked about. Um, but they did offer Miami, and so upgrade. Uh, but, yeah, you get uh, four seats for up to four. I guess it's more. We only need it four because wife and two daughters. But, um, you know, I've got season tickets. But um, you get tickets uh, about 10 minutes. We come. I think we had to be there at 6.15, around 6.25 or so. They got us and took us down. Um, on the field. So we were on the field during the end of warmups, um, like hanging out with Heath Miller, <laughs> like not hanging out, but they were right beside us, like Heath and Herman. And, um, I think, yeah, Tiki walked by. And then, um, right before the team runs out, they pull you around to the sideline near the, just outside where the team stands. And you kind of watch the Cavman thing. You watch the team come out, which is pretty cool to be on the field for. And all my years of going to Scott stadium, I've never been on the field for that part. Um, and then right before the coin flip, uh, they sent, you know, they kept whoever's going to be with Riley, only one, one parent could be with her. 
I figured they'd just take us up right next to the team, but they took us right to the middle of the sideline. So I'm like standing there while my while my buddy yeah. Jim puts the headphones on um, Marcus we and we and can Dr. see you Ball. guys down there in the middle yeah, of it was, the fray. It was a little intimidating, man, because you got the whole team there. Like the captains are walking out, and you're literally standing right behind them. Um, but basically, uh, yeah, Miami won the toss and elected to defer, so um, they kicked off. And so since since Virginia kick off second half, took us back to our seats, and um, right at halftime, about five minutes left in halftime, they brought us back down. Same thing, right in the middle of the team, where the where the atmosphere was a lot different. They were that team was fired up, and um, after Virginia kicked off, start the second half, right, they ran out and grabbed the tee. And that was it. It was pretty awesome. Though. There was a, there was some time. there was some conversation at the tailgate prior to the game where I was trying to convince Riley that she should do some cartwheels. Um, no, she had plenty of time in retrospect. Look, man, I just think that if she'd just done this, it would have been beautiful. Like if she just been like she'd done like three different cartwheels, she's like, oh, then the crowd would have like gone crazy. It would have gone nuts. I mean, it would have well, been they, like the most explosive moment. <laughs> what was my plan? Sorry. Your plan was to have her go take the turnover chain. Oh, oh yeah! I was like, "Why don't you just keep running and grab that turnover chain?" That yeah, that was yeah. that was Dave yeah. when the blood alcohol level was was rising. Um, <laughs> it was rising. Yeah, it, it was a good time. Shoot. There was a lot of that, that Saturday night at Scott Stadium. We'll uh, we'll get into that uh, in a little bit. Um, all right, let's talk about this game. Uh, obviously, Virginia offensively not the most beautiful game, right? I mean, uh, but hey, look, got the job done. Uh, made made the most of their opportunities uh, when they had to have them. Uh, and then I think did a nice job of forcing Miami into. I mean, look, they they basically broke them because now they've changed quarterbacks not only at the half but have have, have changed quarterbacks on the depth chart. Um, Dave, let me start with you. If I had told you going into this game that Virginia was going to win by a field goal, wait a minute, I actually did on this very program week ago. No, if I told you going into this game, look, Bryce Perkins is is not going to throw the ball well. He's going to have a quarterback rating of like eight, right? He's going to turn the ball over three times. Um, Alamene Zacchaeus has only had three catches for 15 yards. You would have thought the score would have been what, like 40-something to 10 or something crazy like that? Like, how how much does it surprise you that that Virginia won this game? I mean, it it's pretty pretty surprising. I mean, everything I – mean, we, we kind of talked about it uh, on air and then off air about what – what the numbers would look like if Virginia did manage to win this game. And uh, none of us said Bryce would have a bad day. I mean, we assume either went off through the air on the ground and you're right. He didn't do either. Um, he had a consistent game, um, not throwing the ball, but on the ground, but I never would have guessed it would have played out like it played out. Um, not in a million years. Like, I don't even know if any simulation, you know, they run those computer sims, whatever time I doubt any showed up with a game like that. Um, and and that's I guess that's what makes it football. Yeah, um, I think like if you think about Bryce in the sense of like okay throwing the football, not obviously his day, but he had ninety seven yards rushing on a, on a defense that only gave up a hundred a game. Now I understand the way college football does uh, sack yardage that that sack yardage takes away from his bottom line on in rushing, but still he gained ninety seven yards against a team that only gave up a hundred. So when you get another 86 from, from Jordan uh, Ellis, it's a, it's a big deal. Now, granted, a lot of their passing offense was out to lunch, but 
man, I really thought that that RJ Proctor's play on the offensive line was was a big deal. Um, Ferber, what was what was your sort of takeaway, uh, at least on the offensive side of the ball, coming out of this game? Just glad that they don't have to play Miami's defense every week. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, I mean, we we talked about it during the week, right? I mean, we had a conversation, literally. You know, what does Bryce need to do? To, what stats would Bryce need to have to win? You know, in a win and. Basically, what we came up with was nothing like what happened, and they still won. And I think that might actually end up being the story of this game. You know, as I was driving back um, to Northern Virginia after the win, I was kind of thinking that. I was like, they still were able to win them, you know, despite all the issues that they had. And, um, you know, the defense obviously deserves a lot of credit for that. But as far as the offense is concerned, um, yeah, I mean, I thought that Jordan really ran hard. Uh, when he got his opportunities I don't think he ended up with a ton of carries I don't remember what the number is off the top of my head I think he had like 83 yards or something um but he gave them a a lift when when they needed him to um didn't do a lot of stuff laterally uh just because of running the ball I mean like with Tavares or you know Joe uh they did try to get Joe the ball in a couple different ways which I thought were good um we did see a few wrinkles in the offense I thought um some of the stuff that Bryce was doing uh, you know, getting out of the pocket and, and just trying to run. They did a lot more design runs. Um, and I thought that stuff was good. But, you know, obviously with Miami's defense, they just they just kind of played well, I thought, especially up front and gave UVA some problems on, you know, several downs, like first and second down that kind of set them back and made it harder to convert. And then I think the passing game just really struggled because there wasn't a lot there. Uh, I mean, I'd have to go back and watch again to see. I just watched the keys the entire time to see if they did anything special. Um, but they were able to just kind of keep him from getting the football. I didn't see him running wide open very much. Um, so, you know, I don't think that Bryce missed him a lot. Obviously, Bryce made his fair share of mistakes early in the game. Um, the first pick, he's just trying to do too much and throw back across the field. The second one, it looked like Joe came across his face open uh, in zone coverage, I think he might have thought it was man, and he tried to lead him, and he led him right into the guy that was about to pick him up in coverage. Um, and then the third one, I, on live view, I thought you know he underthrew it, but you know it kind of looks like this, the secondary uh, Bandy, uh, the cornerback, just made a really good play, and, and Hasees probably needs to do a little better job on that play, and I'm sure he knows that. But yeah, my big takeaway was they were able to run the ball when they needed to, and pick up a few big first downs and obviously they punched it in, in the red zone. So I thought that that was encouraging despite, you know, very limited, you know, production from the offense, the passing game. Uh, Jordan Ellis had 18 carries for 86 yards with a touchdown averaging of four uh, average of 4.8 yards per carry, which I'm fine with. Um, yeah. I think the thing too, like, look, we got to talk about Brian Delaney. I mean, dude, I mean, he comes kind of out of nowhere, and he and he and he was perfect on his field goal attempts. Obviously, made his one PAT as well. Uh, four kickoffs, two touchbacks. I mean, he was really, really good. And if that's the sort of consistency that Bronco can count on from him going forward as the kicker, I mean that 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 sort of changes a little bit of the um, you know the calculus when it comes to what do you what do you call in in certain situations and. And, and how sort of you approach drives. Now, I, I, I don't think if you're looking at it from Virginia's side, if, point of view, you don't want to like just settle for field goals. You don't want to set out like, oh, but that's okay because we'll just get a field goal. But certainly if it's third and three, you know, um, or excuse me, third and six, third and seven, you, you understand, all right, if we're in a spot where he can make the field goal, let's, let's try to make sure we, we do that. I, I just feel like we should, we should make sure we mention Brian because he could, that could be a difference 
uh, maker for the rest of the season because Bronco keeps talking about how, to them, the ACC is a tough conference where all the games are close and a handful of plays determine everything. If that's the case, and he's right, and the data probably shows it, then Virginia's rest of the season, I mean, Delaney being able to kick some field goals might have a dramatic impact because if you think about how close they are to that sort of margin for error, I mean, you know, six points here or there can, can, can really make things work. Uh, defensively, look, they didn't play perfect. Um, the grades certainly showed that um, yesterday that we ran. But, I mean, between Joey Blunt and some of the younger kids tackling really well, I, I, and it just is a collective effort. Malcolm Cook coming off the bench uh, and, and making some, some really important plays when he was in the game. I, I really came away thinking Miami has a lot of talent. They're, not, they're clearly not as talented as NC State is. But they have a lot of talent, and for Virginia to, to, I mean, basically, I don't think they threw a single ball that I remember in the end zone. Um, that's just remarkable. I mean, that's just remarkable. Dave, what was your your sort of takeaway, or um, maybe a lesson, or something you learned about that defense? They were good. <laughs> I mean, spoiler alert: look, they were good. You take away that seventy-yard run Homer had, which in itself, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it, like the play of the game, the the stop on that. But they had less than – I'm trying to do the quick math. I think they had maybe 70 yards rushing outside yeah, of that play. We, me and Brad talked about it right afterwards. It was like half of the yards were that play. I think it was like a little less no, than no. half. No, no. It's worse than that. They gained they gained 167, right? Okay. But their net was only 149. Um, so you're talking – yeah, you're right. You're right yeah, on point. Half. Like yeah. it's, it's basically half, which, I mean, he only had 95 yards for the game. So other than yeah. that one – I mean, and look, I'm not trying to bezdelic this, you know. Well, if you take away <laughs> yeah, that 24 yeah. to nothing run, we're right no, in it. You, you can't take away. But that was my point. Uh, every other – Miami ran the ball. And you're talking about – you're talking a team that couldn't stop the run against NC State um, and basically played three defensive linemen. When they were three-man front, it was uh, Aaron – Eli and um, oh, who am I forgetting? Mandy. Uh, Mandy. That was their three. They they didn't rotate anyone else in. Now they played a lot of two man nickel looks, but even in that formation, they were good against the run. Um, it was just a whole lot of want to that maybe was lacking a little bit. Um, nothing against Jordan Redmond because he, he's had he's done a great job filling in, um, so especially when Mandy was getting healthy. But the versatility you have in that front with with Eli at the nose, you know, makes it, makes it a good line against a team like Miami, but the way they were able to be physical with that line surprised me. Um, I think anytime the defensive line has a game that good. Um, and then you take, think about the fact that you had Snyder and Zandier for most of the game playing behind them that are still green. You know, they're, they're still young guys and heavily involved in run defense. And they did a great job of stopping that, um, which I think was huge when you look Clearly, Mark Rick doesn't trust either one of his quarterbacks. Um, you know, he pulled he pulled Perry after what three six passes? I think he threw. You know, granted, two of yeah. them went back the other way, but I think it was um, three series or yeah, four. Three for six were two t- two picks, and he was pulled. And to me, that's kind of when when Rozier didn't come in and have immediate success. That's kind of when I was like, oh, this thing could happen because you know you got a fracture team on the sidelines that doesn't have a history of wanting to give all that it takes to win a nasty game that doesn't involve Florida state. Um, that's kind of, and then, um, going to the secondary, like I, I thought they were all, <laughs> I, I don't know that anyone in the secondary had a bad game. Um, Tim Harris, who we've kind of bagged on, you know, been harsh on, I guess, um, had his best game as a Cavalier in my book. Bratton still was good. 
Joy Blunt is exceptional. Nelson played well. Thornhill did his. I mean, everyone played up. And then when Snyder got dinged up, you know, Malcolm Cook came in and made some plays. So it was just a great team effort from a defense that's missing a lot of bodies. You know, you, f- you f- think of the guys who were, you were going to be relying on in that defense, you know, two of the big ones, Bernie and, and Mac didn't play in a game against Miami that you won at home. Um, that's outstanding. Outstanding to me. I think the thing too, about the, you mentioned the, the defensive line. Look, I was, I was actually, you know, really surprised that they were able to do what they did, but now you, you, you have an extra gear. What Bronco, Bronco, um, I think it was Dave. Was it you or Ferber? One of you guys were tell, asking a question about why Redmond didn't play, and so I asked the question Monday during the presser. Yeah, and um, he said essentially, "Look, look, it wasn't anything. You know, he wasn't hurt or anything. But basically, when they looked at trying to stop a running game that didn't necessarily want to go downhill, come right at you, they wanted to go lateral. It made more sense to to have Eli in the middle. Well, now they have now they have an answer for that, right? They don't have to ride with just Jordan in the middle." And so even if the defensive line doesn't have a lot of depth, they, they seem to have baked in a little bit of uh, versatility, which I think is a really good thing. Ferber, I, I, my guess is you're going to focus a little bit more maybe on the defensive backs. I think it's hilarious that you know Juan has this huge game. He, he, he has like what? He has two interceptions. He had uh, 86 combined yards in terms of returns between them. Um, and Joey gets the bigger grade. I thought that was hysterical. What what uh, what are some of your takeaways uh, from this game for the defense? Yeah, I think, honestly, my big takeaway on the defensive side of the ball is I think that UVA really took advantage um, of having that bye week to get ready for this game. And I'm sure that there was some self-scouting you know, involved in that, and it wasn't all Miami prep, but... I think that Bronco's defensive game plan for this game might have been his best since he's been here. Um, And then the execution was good. Uh, There were clearly a few wrinkles that UVA threw out there that they weren't really ready for. It just kind of threw them off. And I 100% agreed with Rick's decision at the time. I was saying it in the press box to take out Perry. Um, He was clearly, you could just see body language and just, just completely misreading what was going on defensively. Um, and I think that, and, and their offensive coordinator talked about it before the game in the midweek. Um, you know, he said that UVA is a very complicated looking defense and for a young quarterback that can be problematic, especially, you know, it's not just the pressure you have to deal with. It's the illusion of pressure and you don't know where the pressure is coming from. Um, and then the secondary, yeah, I mean, they played great, but I think that, the wrinkles that Bronco threw at them were good. Um, the one in particular, obviously, was uh, playing. I don't know what the exact snap count numbers were, but they played Elliott Brown and Matt Gam right. standing up. And a couple plays, I think they only had one down lineman, and it was Alonzo, or no down lineman, um, and had everybody just kind of standing up. You don't know who's dropping back and who's coming. And for a freshman quarterback, um, that can be enough to change the complexity of the game, right? Yeah. So, like, Ryan Finley is probably going to be able to diagnose a lot of that stuff or not care who's coming and then just work from, you know, what he sees. A freshman could see that and completely panic, and that's pretty much what ha- – I mean, he wasn't seeing the field on his picks. He underthrew the big deep ball, and then obviously the second one, there was a blitz coming off the edge, and he just didn't see it. And then Rozier, I mean, he had a pick, but his was tipped. So and that was just a great play by Zandir to get up there and get that one. But, yeah, I mean, Thornhill was outstanding. Blunt was outstanding. And I think he's really developing into a really good player. Um, 
it's not a, a mistake that he has like the highest grade on the defense this year. Um, I think he still leads the team in tackles. Um, yeah, Tim Harris. I mean, he came in and made a couple plays. He blew up a screen. Um, you know, he was tackling. And then Bryce is Bryce. Bryce is just an excellent cornerback right now. So they did a good job. There was one throw into the end zone, I believe, or two. Um, and they were really well defended um, on, like, flag routes to the left side. Um, I didn't see – I don't think they had a defensive pass interference penalty or anything like that. Um, I don't remember one. And it doesn't really feel like they were close. They did exactly what they needed to do to win that game. Yeah, I was going to mention um, Tim Harris, too, because, you know, for a guy who obviously has had a lot of injury issues over the years and then obviously this season, you know, Bratton basically took the job and he's been playing, but he hasn't been starting and, and clearly Bratton is kind of the guy of the future. For him to come out and have this kind of game, I mean, I thought he I thought he might only be credited with three tackles in the uh, in the stat sheet. He might only, you know, he didn't have any PBUs or anything like that. But it was it was by far to me his most physical and sort of imposing game. I just thought he did a great job, you know, getting off blocks, getting to the ball. Um, I thought he I, I thought he looked he looked confident um, for the first time I thought this season. And then I think it's hysterical that Joey Blunt grades out at the highest, and yet he didn't even have a tackle in this game. Um, he did have he had how many times you're going to say this that he had more interceptions than he had tackles, um, but for him to he, for for Virginia to continue to be good, he's got to continue to be good. Um, and you probably could point to several guys on that side of the ball and say the same thing. But I, I think overall, this is a talented Miami offense. It's just not a very cohesive offense. You know, if, had they done something like this against NC State, you'd feel a lot better. But you can't feel poorly about it because that's a talented, you know, athletic team. And they basically just kind of sunned them. I mean, for lack of a better description, they just sunned them. And that, that to me is, a, is, is interesting because this is, to me, the, the toughest three-game stretch they're going to have all season. Uh, they, to get a win out of these three, if they can go down to Durham, which we'll talk about in a second, uh, and get one, that's that's huge because the rest of the schedule is going to lighten up. It's just it it it's not going to be easy, but it's going to lighten up. It's not going to be these three games. You know what I'm saying as they go forward. Um, before yeah, I mean, if, go ahead, yeah, Dave. I, I, I want to say one thing. There was some chatter on the board, like you know, there's always chatter on the board about the offense. I strongly like when I when I left that game, I was like, you know, the offense just did enough. When I went back and rewatched it, um, and then I then I went and watched the condensed game after we watched the whole game just to prove it. I seriously think, and you guys can blow you know and tell me I'm full of it all you want. I think that was the best game Robert and I has called at Virginia. Um, yeah, I mean I don't know if it was the best, but I don't think it was. I don't think that they were hindered at all by play calling. No, like some of they they did stuff in this game we haven't seen all year. There was a lot of, you know, they've had some read act read option looks this year that were predetermined quarterback draws but Bryce ran some read option stuff that passed to Dubois they got picked if that ball stone a little better that's maybe a yeah. touchdown right there because he and he had that other one yeah. he had another he one, had the on one to option. Kelly right yeah. after the pick that yeah I mean like it was it wasn't really a bad throw it was just kind of like Kelly couldn't get out of the the blocks as quickly as he might have been able to yeah um, and I think I think it's easy when you, when you look at the final score to think hey we, we didn't move the ball well but Virginia had three red zone opportunities in that game. That's where I think they kind of. I, I do think Bryce got really gun shy after the, after the uh, third pick, especially even after the second pick. And probably to, for the it was probably for good reason. Oh yeah, he was. He needed to stop doing what he was doing. Yeah. I mean, his ball did not look good. Like I'm, I'm assuming he hasn't hurt his finger anymore since the initial injury. But if you told me he did bang it up in practice, I mean, I looked at it sense. Monday when he was showing it to he was showing it to one of the other guys who was going to be there, 
and uh, the Monday before the game. Mm-hmm. And man, it it did not look it did not look good. I mean, it's it's it was swollen. I mean, his his pinky finger looked bigger than his middle finger, and it was kind of crooked. And I mean, if he's wearing a splint inside a glove and he's not a glove quarterback, I mean, you can you can throw all you want with that thing, and it's just I mean, it's just one of those things where he's just going to have to play with it. Um, you sort of hope that you know whether it's this week or next week that it, it starts to the swelling is going down. But you're probably right; he probably has you know banged it on a helmet at some point, um, and yeah. that's gotta that's gotta suck. And he yeah, was his, going to his third, fourth read sometimes just because Zacchaeus was covered or whatever. So, I mean, it wasn't like he was having to make a bunch of easy throws. No, no I, I understand why Zacchaeus didn't have big numbers. Like He never went anywhere without double coverage. Most of, you know, there was maybe there was one play, um, the, the one with the targeting where Zacchaeus was wide open. But, um, for, but what I was most impressed about is what we have seen from Anai in, in the past especially last year. Maybe this year has been a little different, but it's there hasn't been a lot of patience on the offense. You know, the run game's working, but it's not getting chunks, so let's get away from it. Um, but to continue to pound three or four yards at a time, I was encouraged by that. I, I, was, I was very happy with the different looks they were giving Miami just to get three or four yards because not all Virginia's not always gotten three or four yards every time they run it. Um, but that drive ending, like, exp- Extended from what about six minutes left in the third quarter into the fourth. Um, maybe that was the their best line. drive of the game. Yeah, it was eight plus minutes that just that that was the backbreaker for Miami. I mean that that ate so much clock, and it, it was a beautiful drive. And I do think he deserves credit, regardless of what, what the final points were on the board. Um, Virginia dominate. You know, did a good job of not being able to play to their. Sh- what we consider the strengths and still dominate time of possession and dominate the game. Yeah, I thought he did. I mean, I thought he just kind of, I think the understanding was, you know, this defense isn't going to give us much, so we have to take everything we can get. And I think that's kind of how the game was called more, I I guess more conservatively. The only problem I had was that the, you know, after they got the pick, um, the third one, um, he took the shot to Kelly and then doubled down with another throw. And I thought that at that point it was try to get all the clock off quickly <laughs> like you know because i don't you know 10 points that's a pretty safe lead i guess but you can give that up um pretty quickly so i mean i don't i thought that you know just try to kind of get some clock off and that drive ended up only taking like 30 seconds off the clock or something so um but yeah i thought that you know they didn't try to get too cute couple wrinkles you know they had that throw to, to joe reed the that was a staple of byu's offense with hill where it's like an option play where you can throw oh yeah that was boundary. my favorite play of the game yep yeah that was yeah, great. I'd be okay and if they ran that really, every day <laughs> and we haven't really seen it you know so and then the buccaneers basically tried to do it on the last play of the game on sunday which was cool um but yeah i mean they did that and there were a couple times where i feel like man if they give the ball to kelly on one of those like pop pass plays there's like nobody on the backside, um and he can outrun some guys but you know that's i thought that he did a great job calling the game and bryce just played poor um you know, after he had the picks, I think he had one play where um, he had butts, and I think it was it was a receiver. I forget who it was, um, not Zacchaeus, and they were both running seam routes off play action, and both of them were wide open. And he looked at both of them and then decided not to throw it. And it was clear that it was like he doesn't want to throw across the middle of the field. 
Um, but, you know, hopefully that was just a, a result of the picks and he can move on from that this weekend at Duke. Nice segue. Wait a nice segue. Uh, Cats Corner Podcast brought to you tonight by Ask Landis, a company based in Charlottesville that specializes in helping you downsize and declutter. They've served Southern Virginia for the past decade. Ask Landis and owner Stephen Landis and Brandon Lloyd have been helping folks all over the region clear things out from their homes and businesses as well as providing a turnkey solution to help you get from point A to point B. Um, so maybe let's say you've, you, you've got a, a, a basement that you need to clean out and maybe you, um, you have a family member who's moving out from a house they've been in for 30 years and you just need some help. Um, let Steven and Brandon do that work for you. Um, they are good dudes doing good work and I, and I, um, and I think that, uh, if you give them a look, uh, they can help you out. You can give them a call today, free consultation, 434-249-8383, or you can visit asklandis.com for more. Our thanks to Ask Landis for their support of this show and all of CavsCorner.com. All right, so Duke is next on the schedule. Virginia has to play the mighty, mighty Daniel Jones, who's apparently mighty only against teams not named Virginia. We're going to keep riding that, uh, that, that thing all, uh, all week, and then he's going to go for like 300 yards or some nonsense on Saturday. Um, for, I want to start with you. Um, what is, what's, as you, as you're working on the preview, what's stressing you out about Duke? What, what, what's going to give you, if you're, if you are worried about picking UVA in this game, what's the reason going to be? Duke's defense is good. Um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of, I had an inkling. I haven't really watched a lot of Duke this year, but I mean, they were better than I thought they were looking at what they've done. Um, yeah, they did a really good job against the triple option this past week. I think they had an extra week to prepare, um, but they really didn't give them anything. Uh, one of Georgia Tech's touchdowns was off of an interception, um, and the other one was kind of later in the game. So they really um, shut them down and, and showed that you know they can they can get stops when they need to, especially against the run. But you know, obviously that could have an effect this week playing Georgia Tech and then you know turning around and playing UVA, but. You know, they have a couple of really good defensive linemen, and, um, you know, they are missing their best cornerback. He's out for the season, Gilbert. Um, but two, their two linebackers are, you know, two of the best in the league, maybe the best, probably the best tandem of linebackers, and Giles Harris and uh, Humphreys. They both, you know, great tacklers. They can make plays against the run. They can drop back in coverage, whatever they need them to do. Um, and that could be trouble for UVA in the read option game because those guys are both veterans and disciplined and, and you know, they might be able to kind of like get on those plays a lot quicker than maybe less experienced or talented players would. But yeah, their defense is a lot better than people probably think. Um, you know, obviously Davey Cutcliffe's not really known for, for defense, but I think they're averaging, they're only allowing like 17 points a game this year. Um, so, I mean, I think that's going to be a real challenge for a UVA offense that, you know, we just talked about, they did some good things and, and struggled obviously with a really good Miami defense this past week, but you know, they're going to have to turn it back on this week because, you know, Duke's offense is probably going to put up more than 13 points. My thing about it is, is <clears throat> I feel like Duke has recruited really well. <clears throat> or better, I guess, as the case may be. I feel like they've done a nice job of developing talent, which is Lauren Brownlow from um, WRAL Sports Fan and Ninety Nine The Fan in uh, Raleigh pointed out uh, in our uh, pointed out in our behind enemy lines piece this week. Like <clears throat> this is a this is a team that had to change defensive coordinators, and you sort of wouldn't know it given how well they played at times this year. Um, at five and one, and sort of where they are, this this is a big game for Duke, and it's I mean, obviously it's a big game for for UVA as well. Uh, Dave, as you look at this thing, um, and we'll get to predictions in a second, but just generally speaking, do you, 
do you how encouraged are you about Virginia's defense playing against Daniel Jones considering what you just saw the Cavaliers do to Miami? I mean, I'm encouraged with the defense just because I, I think they're getting better. Um, and it sounds like we're going to get cooked back. And I think we've got a little more playable depth of defensive end. It looks like Mandy's back to 100%, um, which, which gives you a little more versatility. And, and I think Zane has really stepped up. Um, he's had some tackling issues in open fields the last couple of games, which I think Duke will try to exploit because that's what Cutcliffe is good, good, you know, good about. Um, so, you know, I do like our, our defense against against their offense. What, what it does concern me about Duke is, look, I'm not – I don't think Daniel Jones is as great as some other people do, but he's he's good, uh, good to very good even, um, in the offense they run. But that offense is predicated on kind of passing out of run looks and getting his first option. Like, if he has to go away from his first look, he becomes a – much different quarterback. Um, so if, if our DBs can be physical and we can get a little pressure, I like our chances. Now, I, I do think the advantage they have is that Jones is facing this defense for the third time, and with with the changes in the in the linebacking core and, and the defensive line this year, maybe Virginia can't surprise them with some new looks as much as they could have, you know, if we had Mac back or or something like that. Um, but of the, you know, you, you talked about this being the toughest three-game stretch. No offense to Duke, but they're the least talented of these three teams. Um, you know, you, you mentioned they're recruiting better. If you look, actually, before we got on the podcast, I, I went back and looked at the rivals team recruiting rankings. If you take the five years, you know, that could be on the roster, Duke's average class is 52 and ours is 55. So essentially it's the same talent from that perspective, except they've got a little bit, a few older guys left on there on their defense. So from a pure talent perspective, it's probably the third best, but I think of these three, but I do think from an offensive schematic point, it's one or two, um, definitely better than Miami NC state. If they didn't have Finley, I think I'd give the advantage to Duke. Um, so it's going to be more of a coaching challenge than a talent challenge. And, and we've beaten them twice in a row and Cutcliffe is a pretty good coach. So it's not in, you know, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely nice to have won this past Saturday and not need this one quite as bad as we did before. Yeah, I think it's three games in a row, isn't it? Yeah, London beat them the last oh, year. Oh, yeah. yeah. I think okay. it's three. Not that that necessarily matters. All right, let's get into predictions. And, and you got the whole Chase Minifield thing if you oh, really want to Oh, that's true. That's right. Yeah. 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 Let's not, let such a nice guy, except for when it comes to Chase Minifield, who he hated. Um, all right, let's get to predictions, the place where I make you two both look like fools. Um, all right, in the preseason, um, Dave, you had uh, – Looks like Virginia win in this game, twenty-one twenty. Um, how do you feel yeah. about about that prediction right now? I mean, I'm gonna stick with it. Um, I, I'm a little less confident than I was, even though that score doesn't say confidence. Like, I thought this was a game we could win. Um, I'm honestly, and I, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. I'm a little worried about what I saw from Bryce's passing on passing ability Saturday, because um, I do think Duke's very good against the run. I think they're we could you can exploit them with the passing game. Um, and not knowing, I'm not quite as confident. So I'm not going to change my pick. I think if Virginia wins, it's going to be a really close game. So I'll stay 21-20, Virginia. All right. Ferber, in the preseason, you had Virginia winning this game 24-21. Uh, you were a brave person at that time and picked Virginia to actually kick a field goal, and now it looks like that you could actually be right. How do you feel these days? 
Yeah, I mean, I got that prop right in our preseason props, just uh, since we're all looking like fools. Um, I'm going to be running away with that one again this year. Uh, anyway. Uh, I got that I like, one right. Hold on, pause. I like that you're the person who keeps up with the props. So, like, I mean, legitimately, like, I'm sure I could go back and check it, but I don't know what I what I picked. But you're the one who well, put together well, the spreadsheet. Also, also, if I start falling behind, I probably won't keep as good a track. <laughs> They're like, oh, I haven't updated that thing in a while. It's fine. Anyway, yeah, sorry, know, go ahead. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> What, what prop? What prop bets? What do you mean? What spreadsheet? What is Excel? Yeah. I don't know what that is. Yeah, what is this you're talking about? Um, okay, so if you look at the numbers, right, UVA's offense, when they have gotten the ball to Zacchaeus, let's say, for the argument's sake, for more than 15 yards receiving, okay, right? Okay, you're setting this up like you don't have a specific number and a stat in front of you, but well, that's okay. Go ahead. Well, I mean, I could throw the Louisville game in there too, actually. Actually, that would probably make sense because those three games are kind of bunched together. Um, against Indiana, he had five for 15 and a touchdown. Against Louisville, he had four for 29 and zero touchdowns. And then against Miami, at three for 15 and, a, and no touchdowns. And then in the other games, their offense was just more explosive and moved the ball better. Um Obviously, against Louisville, they had the big margin of victory, but they didn't really get a lot going in the first half. Um, uh, they did get the ball down to the red zone a few times, but anyway, I digress. They're much better. I mean, obviously, like you can see a huge gap between the three games that they really had big offensive outputs in the passing game um, and then the rest of the games. But, you know, it seems like he has a good game, and then he kind of doesn't have a good game. and then he. So I kind of think he could bounce back this week. Um, they're definitely going to need him to. Uh, I think this is going to be a really tough game for UVA in a number of ways. One, I think Duke is good, like Dave said. Uh, Daniel Jones, you know, he's he's efficient. You know, he's completing almost 70% of his passes. Um, they have overcome a lot of injuries this year, and it doesn't really seem to bother them very much. And, you know, I think that their defense is going to be a challenge, and they're at home. And UVA is coming off of an emotional win at home. You know, they might feel like they have a little house money, which is a dangerous thought. Um but I will say that Broncos teams coming off of their you know bigger wins here, um, they've done okay. I mean, after that Boise win, they came home and beat Duke. So, um, yeah, we'll see if they can repeat that this time. I'm going to go ahead and predict Duke to win a close one. Um, I know that I picked UVA in the preseason, and Duke is a little better than I thought they would be, to be quite honest with you. Um, and UVA's uh, about where I thought they'd be. Um, but, you know, just different than I thought they'd be. But um, with like Dave, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned about the passing game um, in this game. Just Bryce is going to have to play better and, and in the passing game. And obviously he can bring that running element that will help them. But if you try to be one-dimensional against this defense, I don't think it's going to work out too well, especially on the road. Um, I'm going to go Duke 27, UVA 24. Um, I feel like this is a real toss-up game. I'm not really sure why Vegas is giving – you know, Duke's such a heavy line. Um, I think it was like seven and a half last time I saw it. Uh, I don't think they're that much better than UVA, but uh, we'll see what happens. I think UVA could definitely go down there and win, but I'm going to go with Duke in a close one just because of all the factors at play going into this one with uh, coming off the Miami win and how Duke's been playing. So far this season, Duke has played Army, Northwestern, Baylor, NC Central, Virginia Tech, and Georgia Tech. Are any of those teams demonstrably better to you than UVA? Um, no. Not uh, Northwestern is probably comparable, and that game was in Chicago. Um, Baylor is probably worse. 
Um, Tech's probably Army's, comparable, right? Army's okay. They're kind of a tough team to play. And then Georgia Tech, I would say, is pretty similar to UVA because of the triple option element. Like, it's just a tougher team to prepare for. You mean you mean similar to to Army? No, similar to UVA in terms of, like... You think UVA is tough to prepare for? No, I'm saying, like, UVA is a better team than Georgia Tech right okay. now, but... But they're not as hard to prepare for, probably, as Georgia ah, Tech. Okay, I got you. I got you. All yeah, okay. that goes into gotcha. that. I misunderstood. The reason I point that out is because, like, as I looked at this game, like, I, I feel like I know a lot about Duke. I know that the defense is pretty good. They got great linebackers. I, I think they do a nice job in their front um, to to create pressure. To I think they're they're good, dependable guys. They play in a scheme that fits them. Um, offensively, they've had obviously had some injuries that have you know riddled both sides of the ball. But like Ferber said, they've they've sort of just bounced back from them pretty well. I mean, you know, Daniel Jones coming back from a broken collarbone as fast as he did, he seems to struggle against UVA. And, and I forget which one of you two made the joke that basically it's one read and then you know he sort of panics. Um, and Virginia, to its credit, you know, Bronco talked about this after the Miami game that. The defense hasn't changed. What he sent, I mean, it wasn't him; it was Nick Howell. But but what they sent against Miami was not. It was not that they were sending more blitzers. It just made it look like there were going to be more blitzers. It's still the numbers didn't change. And I I don't know, man. I I realized that I I did this whole shtick last week where I was like, I don't know. I got a feeling. I just I don't know. I had Virginia losing this game in the preseason. I had them getting housed coming off the what I thought would be a great Miami win, thirty three twenty four. In large part because I I thought. You know Duke's offense would be pretty good. I just did not. Maybe I just didn't think Virginia's defense would be kind of at this point in the season. Um, I, I I don't know. I I feel like that's a lot of points to give up. But I feel like Virginia wins it. You know by six or seven. I I, I think um, you know today's point about Perkins and, and his throwing right now. Um, that only that only causes some trepidation if he or Ellis. Uh, are not able to get the get things going and they just did it against arguably one of the best defenses in the country duke is good but duke's not miami good um and i feel like i feel like i finally am at a place where i can trust this team i feel like i'm finally at a place where they can trust themselves um so give me virginia to win it um 28 21 um i i that's a that's as probably as dramatic a swap for me from the preseason to the actual game but at week week eight or whatever it is now um I, I guess maybe it makes sense. Um, hey, before we leave, do, do you guys know what the most passing yards either a starting quarterback for Duke has thrown for this year? Uh, I know Daniel Jones' high is 226. That was the, that's the answer. They've yeah. only gone over 203 times this year. And Yeah, if you look at his efficiency numbers, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. But no, I, we were talking about this before, but like his efficiency numbers are really good. But yeah. look at the number of attempts. It's yes. like twenty attempts, seventeen attempts. Yeah, they're they're a rush. They're they're a run heavy team now. Um, the two twenty six was against Virginia Tech, trying to catch up. I mean, yeah, and that was and his efficiency numbers were much worse because it was like he was like twenty two of thirty five or something. Yeah, the only other times they've gone over two hundred is North Carolina Central and this past week against Georgia Tech, when they went two hundred four. So yeah, it's and it's odd. worth noting that three of their turn or three of their touchdowns came in a one minute thirty second span. Um, off of three fumbles where they recovered the ball three times in in Georgia Tech territory, um, and not to, to you know not to act like Duke's a turnover forcing machine, <laughs> Georgia Tech basically laid two of those on the ground if you go back and watch it. So um, 
Short yeah. drives. That game is a really ugly game. Um, you know, it was seven seven with like a minute left in the third quarter. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but the Cats Corner Podcast is also brought to you tonight by Second String Sports and Stores Draft. Second String is all about offering you new and quality used sports equipment. So if you play baseball, softball, football, or soccer, have a kid that plays those sports, Second String has the gear that you need. They got the newest bats and gloves and gear from DiMarini, Louisville Slugger, Easton, Rawlings, Wilson, Evo Shield. It's all on the shelves at Second String, ready to go home with you today. So let's say you got a kid who's getting ready to play a new sport, or maybe you've got a kid who uh, has something maybe that they don't need anymore. They're, they're done with that. Um, take it to Second String. Um, they can give you a credit towards your next purchase. You can check out what they have to offer at their store just outside Waynesboro at 2627 Stewart Draft Highway, or you can go to their website right now, secondstringsports.com. That's second with a two. First string quality, first string service, second string sports. Our thanks again to Second String for their support of this show and all of CavsCorner.com. All right, so fifth side of the ball, who's 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 uh, who's uh, who's introducing this? Which one of you two knuckleheads? Well, for before we go any further, I do want to say that I really hope that Dave knows that for a second string sport is the sponsor of the podcast. <laughs> it would be. Said, really... I hope you guys know. I don't know if you guys. Know. <laughs> You Never know, heard of them. You know what would be really funny, though, is if, if the people out there didn't know that Dave actually ran Second String Sports, and they're just like, oh, it's really cool that Brad has ads now. And he don't, they don't realize that like one of my in-kind contributions to Dave for doing the show for all these years is giving him ad space on the show. Yeah. Um, Most but, expensive ads in the history of the world. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but it's all worth it. Like people, 250 people, episodes. Yeah, <laughs> well, expensive. you know. It, it's, it's all, except oh. for the episodes when I kick you guys off and have to bring in other people because you suck. Um, all right, who's who's uh, who's who's introducing this? Uh, I guess I can. I'm trying to figure out how to. Don't word be so it excited, here. Dave. The energy level just drew, just dropped tremendously. We're four unlike, minutes unlike in. the fifth side of the ball or the fourth the side. Fifth side of the ball. Fourth side of the ball. Sorry. <laughs> Copyright. By second string sports. I think yeah. I, did oh, I yeah. say fourth or did I say fifth? I think I've been saying fifth. It's yeah. It's we call it the fifth. Okay. But I was just saying that the fourth side of the ball was very energetic. You guys just got me super <laughs> duper confused. What we what did they call that? The swag surf. Man, I can't keep. Dude, up you with don't know what that song is. I don't, man. I'm sorry. I, listen, oh, dude. My. I listen to podcasts and random songs that people send me. Okay. I don't listen to like actual music. You act like we weren't listening to Gucci Mane on the way over to Scott Stadium. We the may other have day. been. It You're was, hip. Yeah. It, it, I'm not okay. I'm not hip. All right. Don't don't put that don't put that evil All right, somebody right. somebody Somebody's isolate, somebody isolate that, that clip. Yeah. <laughs> He's not hip. I'm not hip. Yeah. I don't care. I, I don't I'm have any problem with it. Um, can we just get to this segment, please? It's late. I'm tired. Yeah, we're we're going to talk about you know we'll get into the uh, audience um, atmosphere, audience? all that stuff. But we'll the start audience? with uh, you know broke out a new uniform Friday uh, Saturday night, um, which we were unsure if it existed because we saw it in the mock-ups, but hadn't seen it all, all in the year. I mean during the year. So the, the question for the fifth side of the ball is does the Miami uni combo we wore, you know, the uni combo Virginia wore against Miami rank in your top five of all time UVA uniform combos. Mm. And if so, what are the others? All right. Here's my problem. Maybe, I but I like know, them. I don't know if I can give you a favorite. I, it's funny. I'm a Nike dude, but like when they wore those Reebok jerseys back in the Poindexter barber days, um, or maybe it's actually really like the Thomas Jones one with the number, like the, it was like a different font. Yeah. Was, yeah. Yeah. It had cool. like the, maybe the that's pergola. like a nostalgia thing. And like I the collar or whatever it was on the collar, you know, like yeah. I really like those. Um, I mean, look, I love the white helmet and I love the marble and I think that's awesome. And if the blue was in the same style, I think I would like it even more. Um, I, but I definitely liked it. I think I thought it looked really good under the lights, especially watching it, um, on, on playback. I thought it looked really good. 
Yeah, when I, we went down to the field before the game, I kind of got a better look at them up close, and I thought they looked awesome. Yeah, I did too. I, I kind of say- like the white, blue, white that they have now with the with the marble helmet and the blue jersey and the well, white pants. I was going to say, but- that's, the, that's the one I'm waiting for. The one that they were they've been putting in the recruit stuff, like that's the one I'm waiting for. Well, they wore it against Ohio. No, no, no. I'm saying, but I'm saying to watch a game with it, man. Yeah. I don't care about it being on TV. <laughs> like I'm talking about it being Scott Stadium or some stadium I'm in. Like I, I want to be able to like see it in person. Nah, they're cool. I really like the white ones this year. Honestly, I yeah. think they look. I look. I think they look really good uh, on TV. Sorry, I can't be at you know every stadium like Brad. <laughs> um, but and see them in person. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um. But yeah, I think I think these these unions are definitely the most modern they've had. I can't really think of like a one that stands out to me. Obviously, you know, I haven't seen as much UVA football as you guys, but um, <laughs> I, I really wasn't planning on saying that until I just did. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of a lot of the games I watched, they were black and white. I just, I just looked right? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't really have one that like stood out. Um, I have some ones that I really didn't like. Um, I was not. A fan of this one would probably this one would probably be pretty high for me. I really like the chrome helmet stuff they kind of brought out a few years ago, but for one game, yeah. But game I just they didn't really him. match the uniform, so that was kind yeah. of annoying to me. But I would say that that was the worst period of uh, because they were like trying to do something fun and there was no cohesive sort of plan and it just sort of happened. And they also were bad, so that's those jerseys good. were so boring. Like they just had the most boring jerseys. Like, yeah, the, I, I, I literally like. You guys know I collect the mini helmets, right? I've got the mini helmet with the like white top and orange flame bottom. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? Like yeah. that? Yeah, they were that one, the carbon fiber and the chrome. Like yeah, the carbon fiber one I actually really did like. Was that the one they um, wore against Pitt? Yeah. Yes. I'm and they wore with white jerseys, which is because you couldn't wear it with the blue because it didn't match. Yeah. So they had to wear them with the white, and that was cool. Well, what I, I like that one. I wonder, so, though, would you rank it in your top five or not? Will you answer the question? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. I would say yeah, just because. And, uh, give me an incomplete. Of, incomplete. I would, I would say yes, just because I don't think there's a lot of other. They, I feel like they've had very like standard uniforms. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you the that. top five. Oh man. Um, <laughs> I, I will put this in my top five. Like I, I kind of grouped the mid '90s Reebok uniforms all together, even though there were variations. Um, I would put this at number five, and it had a chance to be higher if those helmets were the same marble finish. Um, but I do – the reason I don't have it higher than five other than the helmets is I wonder how good it would look in the daytime. Like, I think that's a nighttime uniform. Yeah, I feel um, like it wouldn't look as good in the daytime. But they I did agree. a superb job matching the blue jersey and the blue pan. Yeah, like, I would agree. Yeah, yeah, that's, were almost, like a whole, that's like a set that they got. Yeah, they were monochromatic. It was beautiful. Yeah, because um, before we've had issues with that. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I, that stuff really bothers me. Like it does. Me too. That's why I made a list. <laughs> Number four, I've got the Sean Moore era. Yeah, I love those. <laughs> white, orange, white. Um, number three, the mid '90s blue, blue helmet, blue top, white, white bottoms. I loved them. Um, didn't matter. There was, was one or two years where they got a little crazy on the, on the uh, graphics around the collar. They weren't great, but. I, I did. Yeah. I like those pergos, man. At the, time, they, at the time, they looked great because it was cutting edge stuff. But looking back now, yeah, now it just everything from like the '90s looks terrible in all sports, all like all sports uniforms, pretty much. A bit of a shocker on my top five, number two, the current all white uniform. That's yeah. not a shocker. That marble white, the white and white. That's so good. Um, but number one for me remains that '70s throwback, which kind of led into these uniforms, the orange with the. Oval V. Oh, okay. Yeah, those were those were nice uniforms with that blue jersey and the white pants with the stripes. Like that's a 
that's still my number one. Yeah, and I did think that was the best top. And look at that. That's why they kept them, I think, for the first couple years because they were just better than the other uniforms they did. They were good. Speaking of speaking of rankings and stuff, do do where do we put the crowd Saturday night? What do we? I mean, like I thought numbers not good, Bob. No, 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 (laughs) not the numbers, but just the energy. Like I thought, like there were times in that game where it definitely felt like there were a lot more people there than were actually there. and I don't know if that was – I'm not really sure what was the confluence of just the, the night game and the um, – Students, cooler, that's what it was. The, yeah, students, cool temperature. Like, I thought, I just thought, that, like, it was – Blood it was, alcohol content. VSE <laughs> helped. I sure. mean, it was like – it was like there was – there was energy in that place that just hasn't been there. And I'm really curious to see what that means. But, Ferber, weren't you saying that, that there weren't as nearly as many tickets for the Carolina game as you would have expected to see? Yeah, I checked just to see if maybe like there was a uh, kind of a boom after they won the game because obviously that's the next home game. So not as many as I would have thought. I mean, it's not going to be full, but um, yeah, I mean, I was it was I'd say what's available is like a little bit more than what was available for the Miami game, but not much more. But honestly, what it comes down to is going to be the students. I mean, that is the great thing that we don't know um, going into the game. You know, how many of them are going to show up? How loud they're going to be? Are they going to stay? All that stuff. And all three of those things happened against Miami. They were all there. That was the most students I've seen when I've been on the field during warm-ups, like, or there early. You know, that was the most I've seen in years, Um, besides maybe, like, a game here or there. Yeah, it was it was the best home crowd they've had in a long time, I would say. I mean, not to disparage the people that do come out and are loud, because I think they deserve some credit um, for being there. Like the Georgia Tech game last year, there weren't very many people there because of the rain. But I mean, it was it was a good crowd there. Yeah. And but I think this was like a raucous kind of environment for what they've had, especially the students, I think, made a big difference. And I thought the pom pom thing was cool. Um, That was a nice little SEC touch. from our athletic director here. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, I thought it was probably the, the, the best crowd. We'll take the Virginia tech games out um, since probably Notre Dame a couple years ago. Yeah. that's. I, I mean, cause that, that. I mean, they lost that game. So obviously there's a lot of bad memories, but that was a good environment. Yeah, it was, it was, but there was, there was still a lot of Notre Dame fans. There are a lot of Notre Dame fans here. And same with like the Oregon game. Yeah. But, it, it, USC. but it, I'd say if you take, you know, Miami's, there were, there were Miami fans here. Um, Definitely. Yeah, they, we they had, were well, they had a good turnout. I thought there I mean, were a lot of them there early in the, like before the game. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I had the the seats they gave us for the kickoff captain thing. I had a Miami fan sitting on either side of us there, which was surprising. And then after the girls left at the end of the third quarter to get home, I went back to my season tickets with my guys, and there's Miami fans sitting in front behind us. So there were plenty of them. Um, but it wasn't but when, like overwhelming. Like, no, no, it wasn't like a Tech game. Yeah. It wasn't like the Notre Dame or Oregon games. I mean. Wasn't that bad because Miami comes around every other year, you know. Um, the I did think they did a really good job, and maybe I don't know how they managed it, but I feel like we've had crowds that size that were more dispersed. Like everyone was, yeah. most of the people are in the lower bowl. I think um, they're doing some stuff on the ticket website to to encourage that. Like they that helps. they hold tickets off the board and then keep people focused in certain areas. Yeah, because I think the goal. I mean, I know if I was in the athletic department, was charged with this, my first goal would be make it look full on TV. Yeah, exactly. and that's like that starts with getting the lower bowl fully. They don't show the upper bowl ever on TV, really. I mean, unless no. it's like a whole stadium wide shot, you don't really see it. And um, everyone's upper seats are empty, so you don't need to be embarrassed about that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's not that's unless not you're Alabama. UVA, that's not a UVA thing, right? Um, no, that's. 
that's a technology. That's a, it's a modern day thing. And I don't yeah. know if they'll ever get to a point where they're filling the place regularly just because of how many seats there are. Well, um, but here's the thing, though. I, they fill JPJ regularly on a Tuesday night. I mean, and I understand that, that, that a football stadium is much larger than a basketball arena, but just trust me. They keep winning. Those people will keep coming back. Maybe not necessarily this year, but, like, if they, if they, if they like, let's say they, like, did something crazy and won out. Like, dude, that, ba- that place would be packed next year. Um, yeah, maybe, I'll, I'll say sure. if, they, if they were to have somehow beat Tech this year or be competitive and they're really, really good next year and Tech regresses, that Tech game will definitely be a sellout. Um, I, but I don't know about before that. I mean, it's just so hard. Because, I mean, that crowd, that crowd seemed really engaged. Um, there were still people, when I went back to my original seats, I'm not going to judge anyone in the, in the loner seats I had because I don't know those people. Um, when I got back to my seats, there were still people who weren't standing up with three minutes left in the game, Virginia driving, which blows my mind. But um, And also a lot of people who didn't understand the roughing the pitter, roughing the kick. Yeah, there were, I got, there were people in front of us were like freaking out on the coaches, the coaching staff about it. And I was like, it's it's going to be a first down. <laughs> yeah, they haven't even asked them, you know? Like, yeah, but then, yeah, that, that I kind of noticed. The, the football IQ and stuff is not as good as it used to be just because I feel like there's so many people that don't come to games anymore or like that, you know, the old, like the fans that used to come all the time don't come as much. And, um, but hopefully that'll get back to a better place, you know, when knowing when to be loud and stuff like that. But I thought that it was much, much better in that regard than it's been in any other game since Bronco has been here, at least going back probably further than that. Um, I was really impressed with the student turnout and hopefully they keep coming back. Yeah, Yeah, it was good. Now, I would like to personally apologize to anyone sitting in Section 116 or 117 Saturday um, at the end of the game when I told you to stop singing. It's not a field goal. It's first down. The game's over. You'll get to sing in 30 seconds. Also, also <laughs> I, have one, I have some people I do want to complain about. Oh, stop doing the wave. Yes, please. All right, that's, that's, that's like where we're putting a pen in it. No, we're not letting Ferber get on his wave. No, no, no we're not doing that. Have, but it was, it was like, all right, their Louisville game, like maybe. I, I know who he is, Ferber. We can find him. Yeah. In a blowout, it's like, all right, whatever, you know, sure, you're bored. But it, this was like people trying to do the wave in like a three-point game against a ranked team. Like, what are you doing? Barbara, you're going to make such a good curmudgeon one day. I want to thank everybody. That's every- not even <laughs> That's just like normal. It's just like you're like hating on people who like want to get involved in a sport event. It's just it is. But that's concerned. not getting involved. You're trying to kill time because you don't. You're, you don't. No, they're like, they're trying to get people to stand up and do things in unison. Like I, I mean, I don't. Not, I'm not a big fan of the wave, but like you're just like crushing it for like no random. It just seems random. I don't. You know. cannot it's, be watching the action on the field if you're looking to see if the wave is coming your direction. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. like something you would do at like a baseball game. Like, cause, and I'm no no offense to baseball. I like going to baseball games, but there's a lot of dead time in baseball games. Well, there's a lot of dead time in a football game too. But I digress. Want to thank everybody well, out this there for getting not during dead time, but a lot I, of dead time in this podcast. Let's get <laughs> seriously. Y'all been like rambling for like four minutes now. We, we've lost everyone. Want to thank everybody. Want to thank everyone out there for continuing to support the show. Want to thank Dave and Ferber for ranting graciously of their time. Want to thank everybody out there who has who has um you know if you found the website through the podcast and subscribe. Thank you very much. My daughter's college phone appreciates you. Uh, if you have not done that yet, please give us a look. Lots of stuff uh, to check out. Lot, Ferber writes lots of words. If you're somebody who has found the website, has not, um, you know, you're just listening to the podcast, feel free to give us a review, uh, whether that's on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever it is you get your podcast. Reviews help spread the word about the show and certainly help us, um, uh, I don't know, 
take our ranting to, to people that might want to hear it. But again, thanks to uh, Dave and Ferber and everybody out there for supporting this year program. For David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.